peek behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it. And welcome back to another Softly Performance Podcast, guys. Today we're bringing you a... a, a a show that is going to be very contra- controversial, I would like to say the least. Um, what we're going to go into today is talking about the Game Changers documentary that we saw on Netflix. And Brooke has done a significant amount of research with this documentary plus reviews. I personally have avoided listening to any other people's podcast or anything else besides what I've been given to um, by Brooke. And today we have on the show is going to be our one and only Brooke West. Say hello. Hello, hello. And then we got Christian Haynes on the podcast God. as well. <laughs> Damn it. <sighs> you thought I was going to mess it up, huh? You did. <laughs> I did. Christian Hines. You just need to rename him something that works. It's Christian. It's, just fine. I'm sorry. Okay, buddy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're bringing you a different show today compared to uh, what we have been. We're actually going to break down some scientific analysis and really get into the weeds of these things. I, For me personally, when it comes to the idea of utilizing different types of diets, um, Brooke can go ahead and tell you that I have been one to go ahead and jump full, you know, head first into different ones to really kind of see what works. So I'm excited to really hear what Brooke has to say in terms of, you know, this documentary, plus some other influences that I've gotten from, uh, from those who have actually, you know, really work in the realm of, of, you know, getting, I guess you can say meat to your table in a very, what's the word in a very, uh, someone help me out here. What's the word? A very, healthy way instead of it being very uh, modified, I guess you can say. And that's 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 where we're going with this so far with the start. So I'm going to go ahead and hand it over to Brooke and let Brooke go ahead and get after it. Yeah, this has been, I'm not going to lie, kind of an overwhelming experience sifting through this, this documentary, which to be in all fairness, I don't even think it was very much of a documentary. It didn't really present, it didn't present facts. Um, a lot of what they presented was extremely misleading. It was certainly very one-sided and it comes off as more of a propaganda film instead of actually a documentary. And I was really, I was excited actually about this documentary uh, because I do think that plant-based athletes are becoming more common. And I thought maybe that it would highlight the actual research and highlight you know, the differences and considerations and fueling for an athlete who chooses to eat meat or doesn't eat meat. And they honestly, I think they kind of like shit the bed on this one. They could have done a lot of really cool things. And instead it was just a shit show from start to finish. And I have to say the filmmakers, like overall, like when I turned the documentary off, I was like, wow, they like made a good compelling film when it appeals to your emotions and persuading someone. But even as they were saying things, I'm like pausing it or I'm, I'm pausing in my head and making note. And I'm like, that's not even, I know that that's not true. And I know that this is, isn't really founded in research, but it's still, when I left, like turned it off, I'm like, wow, that was still compelling the, the way they presented it. Well, and something I, I think is true of all documentaries is that they rely heavily on anecdotes and the uh, emotional factor. Because, you know, something like 90% of your audience is going to yeah. side with the point that is 
pleasing to them emotionally, you know. And as the straight man here who has not been um initiate you know, like I'm I'm not a dietitian and I, I haven't done a ton of study on the subject. I, I was watching it and it was convincing. Right. The documentary. <laughs> I I thought the boner test was particularly convincing. But that was that whole thing was just so hokey. It was just not a yeah. real experiment. It wasn't even actually testing what they were talking about. They were actually talking about uh, vasoconstriction and dilation. And they're talking about um, endothelial walls and like all this stuff. And then it's like, all right, let me strap a cord to your penis while you sleep and let's track a boner. And I'm like, what? It's like, this yeah. has well, nothing to and that do. Goes, this goes to like my whole, we started off with three H's and then went to four H's. And, and again, this whole idea behind it. And I'm not, I'm going to come from multiple different angles from here just because of the fact that I do believe that eating a, a plant-based diet, if for some people might be a healthy option, it might be something that's really well for them. It might give them the, the, the steps to, you know, make that fitness journey, a, a, a a process and make them enjoy and get them healthy again, right? Compared to some people. And a lot of things that, you know, that I looked at when I was watching this documentary was like, what is the history of these guys, of these individuals' background in eating? They, was they my first question. All of them, all of the people that they were using as anecdotes have had not grown up in their sport uh, using a vegetarian or a vegan diet. Yeah, I, they I switched. It was like, you weren't... Uh, you know, Schwarzenegger certainly didn't become who he was from plants, but now he finds that it's a good lifestyle for him now. And that's great. And for older people who are trying to stave off things that come with old age, I think there's probably a value to going plant-based. Something I would also like to know, can we define that term a little bit? Because yeah, I, I, I think I we should back up. Even even back when Forks Over Knives came out and everyone started initially talking about plant-based yeah. diets... They never really define what that means because I am a heavy meat eater, but 75% of my plate, 60, 75% of my plate is fucking plants. So that's, yeah, let's go back. Let's go ahead and back this up. This is one of the things that drove me a little bit batshit while watching this is they use the terms vegetarian, vegan, and plant-based kind of interchangeably. So it became this like mushed up idea. And, um, there's, so basically a vegetarian is someone who doesn't eat meat. Sometimes they'll eat eggs, dairy, other animal products, and everyone's different. Like there's different forms like lacto-ovo, just ovo. So everyone's, there's different forms of that. There's also yeah. pescatarians where they will have fish, um, sometimes. So there's a bunch of different variations hovering around vegetarianism. Vegans will not eat or use any meat or animal products. Like usually they won't even have honey or uh, won't wear leather. Um, so it's definitely the more restrictive diet, a lifestyle it's, pattern. It's, it's a fucking, it's a lifestyle and a half. And those who live that lifestyle, I tip my hat off to you. You guys, oh, yeah. I, always, I always see these girls ordering, you know, vegan whatever at the coffee shop and they're carrying around that leather purse. <laughs> and you're like, I think you're confused. It's barbaric. Um, and then there actually isn't a solid definition on plant-based. But plant-based, generally it's agreed upon that it's a diet mostly derived from plants and that there's few animal products. So this can look different for everyone. So maybe plant-based to you means 
25% of the time I eat animal products, 75% it's plants. And I also want to go ahead and just like get out there my beliefs and um, my eating patterns and kind of just like disclose the lens that I'm coming from um, and just be transparent about that. I eat primarily plant-based. I eat a whole lot of plants, um, nuts, seeds, legumes, and I choose to eat really high quality meat products. And that's important to me that they're locally sustainably farmed. Um, organic isn't as important to me. It has a lot more to do about local and s sustainability and really high quality meat. Not necessarily that it has an organic stamp. So those are my eating patterns. And I truly believe that um, everyone has a right to pick their eating patterns and whatever is best for them. And I also think that you can be a vegan and a vegetarian and be a healthy adult. I think that you can be a vegan and a vegetarian athlete. I think that there's just certain considerations and you're going to have to plan and work a little harder. And I have uh, started an outline because I'm going to turn it into an article because I wish the documentary would have done this and kind of highlight some differences between what are our recommendations for an average American, what are our recommendations for an athlete, and what are our recommendations for a vegan or vegetarian athlete? Because they actually look a little different, especially when we're talking yeah. about certain micronutrients and macronutrients. So I got it out there. Like, that's my perspective as a dietitian. And... Makes Neither sense. of you are vegetarian or vegan, correct? Like, what are your beliefs here? Go for it, um, dude. I mean, it, I eat what my body craves. So if I'm craving some kind of protein, I'll eat a protein. If I'm craving some kind of carb, I'll eat a carb. If I'm craving some kind of fat, I'll do so. Um, I've I've really kind of dive, dove down into the hole of really trying to, like, listen to what my body needs when I'm hungry. Um, and that's just came... It's come from trial and error, from playing around with trying to go high carb, low carb. I actually went vegetarian for, I think, four and a half, five weeks. And it just wasn't for me. I started noticing a lot of different hormonal changes happening. And maybe that was because I should have stuck through it and would have seen changes. But again, I'm very in tune with like how my system works. And I was going off of, you know, my three H's, happy, hungry, and horny. And if I'm having problems in that area you know if i'm not my mood's not good if i'm not having a sex drive my hormones are all messed up and if i don't wake up hungry there's something going on i noticed that the missing piece was protein um what i've also come to find out too is that i don't do as well off of red meat as other people um i like to do a little more fish more white meats but not to an excessive amount, right? Like I'll eat red meats, um, but it's usually gonna be, you know, once or twice a week. And for me, I've had this conversation with other people too, but for me, I usually utilize red meats on my rest days just because, again, I look at food as energy. So if the red meat's gonna be a little more higher fats for me, it's gonna take longer to break down. So it's a little bit more energy wasted on breaking down my food. So whenever I am training twice a day, I look at, okay, what food's gonna provide the easiest way for my gut to break down my foods to give me the most energy elsewhere is kind of the idea behind my approach to eating. Um, there's days where I'll go and have no carbs. There's days mm -hmm. where I'll go ahead and have 400 grams of carbs. And there's days where I'll have all the fats and all the proteins. There's days where I'll just have her else. But again, it's just coming from trial and error. So for, for me, it, it's one of those things, Brooke, I know you probably wouldn't recommend it for most, especially if they're having trouble with nutrition is to kind of go the route I'm going. Um, but well, it's I also come... I mean, I do want to say that I, I think it's awesome that you 
have taken the time just even through the two and a half years I've known you, you've tried a lot of different things. You've played with figuring out what works for you and what doesn't. And you pay attention to your body and you seem very in tune with that. And that's important if you want to take a more intuitive approach to eating because you, you obviously have the training background to be like, you know what? I know what's coming on my programming tomorrow or I know how hard I work today. What's my body telling me? And then you can make decisions based off that. That would be like the freaking nirvana of nutrition education. Realistically, would to be have people know and understand and listen to what their body is telling them instead of having to stick to something um, and like live or die by a set of um, macros or whatever it is that you're following or recipes. And, and honestly, to add to that, Brooke, one thing that I've realized was moderation is actually death. <laughs> so it's kind of one of those things to where I'm now at the point to where it's either, all right, cool, if I'm going to eat super clean, I'm going to eat super clean to an extreme. If I'm not going to eat super clean to extreme, I'm going to eat super clean. I'm going to eat super dirty to an extreme. There's no this like middle aspect because I feel like that middle aspect for me, um, I've weighed, I've I've found that it doesn't work for me, right? Like I'd end up not getting the energy that I need. I end up just kind of, so it's kind of one of those things like, all right, cool. If I'm going to eat clean, I'm going to eat clean. And that's just what it is. If I'm going to eat shitty for a meal, I'm going to eat shitty for a meal. But what I've really come down to, and I know this is talking about dieting and stuff, what it's come down to is taking a meal at a time for myself and not being so hard on myself about the meals that I do eat. So if I do eat a fucking cheeseburger, if I do eat a slice of pizza. It's not like it's ruined my whole day. So yes, you're right. This whole intuitive aspect of eating. And I was trying to avoid that word because a lot of people throw it around nowadays. Like it's a fucking, like they're M&Ms inside a cookie, inside a candy jar. Um, and I've come to the point of just more of active base eating, right? So if I have, you know, more activity, I get to have more carbohydrates. And from that activity, depending on what it is, it'll cater to either fats or carbohydrates. And I understand that yeah. protein is a building block. So, yeah. yeah. And I think that that's how it should be. I mean, that's how I've designed the nutrition program for Softleet. On a training day, what you're ingesting looks different than what you're ingesting on on a rest day. And um, I do want to encourage people, no matter what you're following, that you kind of check in and think about how am I recovering? How am I feeling? Why, like today, let's say today you're in a workout and you're like, why am I super gassed and like my heart rates all over the place and think back because a lot of the times it could be sleep, could be alcohol, could be food. But if you start just paying attention and being in tune with the body, you're going to see way better results, um, tailoring something even further to what works for you. But before I go too far down the rabbit hole, I want to bring it back. So we talked about our, our biases. Um, I guess that like the lens we're coming at this from, um, we're obviously, none of us are vegetarian or vegans, um, but the general consensus is we're not against it. Uh, I think hopefully, but I want to talk about one of the big things in the documentary that bothered me was they brought up scientific research and funding sources. (laughs) So I want to go ahead and talk about the importance of quality scientific research, what that means and the whole point of disclosures. So essentially when it comes to nutrition funding, a lot of disease states get a lot of funding. So something like diabetes or cancer or Alzheimer's because people want to know more about these disease states. When it comes to performance, a lot of the times there's not a lot of funding dollars because it's not, they need to fix a lot of unhealthy sick people and maybe not necessarily be focusing on how to make people fitter. Um, which is something, which is why a lot of different things when it comes to performance nutrition, they don't get very, 
um, like very quickly, the science isn't coming around quickly. Things aren't getting the scientific consensus doesn't change very rapidly because it's just a slower moving ball, I guess. But one of the major things is studies are usually funded by companies. And so sometimes that might be, and they brought this up in the documentary, that this might be the beef council that funds a study yeah. having to do with beef. They do the same exact thing with like the Walnut Council, the Haas Avocado Board. Everyone does it because they want to understand the product that, yeah, at their core, they're trying to sell and get into the bodies of Americans. And so they will fund these studies and all of this is disclosed. So when usually in the beginning of a paper, the researchers are talking about like, I've received funding from here, here, here. I do research with so-and-so and so-and-so. And it works the same way for plant companies as it does for animal and dairy. And it's all out there for someone to see on a scientific paper. So if that makes you want to read it with a grain of salt, you you get that. So the documentary kind of like smashes people for, for doing this and basically saying then that these studies aren't fair. And... They totally didn't acknowledge that half of the producers listed on this film own plant-based vegan supplement companies. Oh, that's funny. And it blew my mind that it's like you're, you're, it's like the pot calling the kettle black. They didn't disclose (laughs) any, no, they didn't disclose any of the things that they were doing. Yeah. um, The main producer and his wife are owners in some company, I think it's called like Variant Foods or something. And I was like, well, this makes, this already puts a bad taste in my mouth. Like every single person on the producer list had like a product or some type of an investment or something to gain from people having like basically taking on this mindset, believing what they say and adopting that lifestyle. And it's the same thing with scientific research. So I'm like, okay, maybe that's, maybe they're still going to present science evidence-based information And they're really passionate about it and they've made it their lives, except that's not what they did at all. They took a lot of different, they cherry picked studies. A lot of them were really small studies. They were kind of controversial. Some of them, a lot of them were not replicatable or have not been replicated. And that makes a good study. Usually a study is going to be peer reviewed. It's going to be a very clear experimental design that can be replicated. So if you can replicate those results, it means your results are valid. And a lot of these are a lot of the other thing they did is they would take statements from a study and just like disregard the rest of the study and in the findings. And I have some specific examples that are funny. So he, like they specifically took this sentence about how, um, if you consume proper amount of amino acids, it doesn't matter if it's coming from plants or animals, but then in the same exact study, they note that vegetarians have a lower muscle creatine concentration and that that can affect your maximal exercise performance. So it was like they picked out what they want that supported their narrative and they discarded the other findings of the studies they used. I do think they, uh, did you notice how it like popped up with the citations like during the documentary? Yeah. That was the first time I had seen that. And I think it made people believe like, oh, here's the studies. Well, that's the problem though, right? Is, is, is the whole anecdotal experience aspect. And then like, Hey, let's go ahead and tie a study to it. It could be any kind of study. Right. And that's the thing. Most of these people who are watching this documentary aren't as educated as 
the 1% that do look at him being like, this is a fucking red flag. This is propaganda. And this is not true, right? And, and, and going back to the list of producers that were on there, right? And like there's one, there was one person on there that, you know, that contributed to it. And the title for this doctor was a vegan cardiologist. Vegan cardiologist. First off, is there a such thing as a vegan cardiologist? Because if there is, I need to know about this. And there's a fucking, <laughs> that was impressive. Um, the second thing that I noticed on there too was that, you know, we keep going back to these producers who have owned all these different plant-based companies are, you know, or put books out. Everyone's a support of it. And, and again, just like when we watch a, a documentary on pure meat, I'm pretty sure we're going to have the same thing here. But the problem that we've seen, though, with this documentary is the bias towards pulling out only specific data they want to utilize to go ahead and change the way someone is thinking by slapping on some kind of fucking, here's the research behind it, because they know already that the individual is not going to fucking go and research about this because they're going to be like, oh, the Netflix told me it must be true. Let me go ahead and do it. And let me be honest, how many fucking athletes watch that documentary that I know personally that are doing it now it's fucking mind-blowing i was always annoyed with keto and the whole low carb like train that everyone was on and i have been very very adamant about the importance of carbohydrates and a balanced diet and how they should be shaped by your activity level and then all of a sudden with this documentary i saw this huge uptick and people going the opposite direction and they're like, I'm now going to become plant-based, vegan, vegetarian, whatever. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's just, it's just like a different train people are hopping on and they just want to pick and they don't want to actually think about it. The best part of everything to come out of this documentary is how so many people, whether they're actual researchers or they're just influencers, have taken, took the citations. Um, and I've gone through and I have a lot of them. One of the citations, they've, they cited things wrong. One of the things they cited and referred to as a scientific study wasn't a scientific study. It was like an article that was written in archaeology magazine or oh, something. Wow. Like it was more of a narrative. It wasn't a study. So it kind of just shaped. It was very, very, very misleading. And it was super frustrating because as someone who champions uh, that everyone should find food patterns and diets that work for them and are healthy, I just want them. I And I do believe that vegetarianism and veganism can be that. You shouldn't have to manipulate uh, the science and the data to try and prove a point. Like you, they totally missed it on this, and clearly, I'm really frustrated and ranting about it. That's well, almost enough and, said and the right point, there. Oh, sorry about that. Oh, man, you're fine. And the uh, the experts kind of frustrated me in the film too. I remember one of the doctors that was talking was team physician for some baseball team. It, I I didn't see any actual experts in that documentary and the veneer of credibility is super 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 thin well it was just really funny the also the athletes they chose to highlight we were talking about it in the office is they cherry-picked the athletes that fit what worked but there are certainly better uh, like there are vegan gold medalists, but they also popped hot for drugs. There are, you know, there's like all these different things. And it's like, yeah. you clearly only picked the ones, the scenarios where it helped your case. Oh, yeah. And to, to be a vegan athlete, it, it, my diet is whatever is calorie dense and is in front of me is going <laughs> in, in, my, in my stomach. One of the biggest things that in my opinion was 
super misleading was they made this claim that gladiators were vegan. Yeah. Um, which is false and <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just false and we're going to talk. I mean, I'll explain why. Um, but basically there was this one group, they tested the bones of different gladiators from different parts of, I guess it was Europe, but, um, depending on where they were, the bones were different. And basically they're making this generalization. This isn't really a direct comparison, but they're saying, for example, like if there was higher amounts of sulfur or nitrogen, it could tell them things about the diet that they ate. And so there was this group, um, one group in the actual study, which I will link up the real study, not the little article narrative they wrote, but the real study. And the conclusion they came to was that this one group was likely plant-based with a little bit of animal products because they were, there wasn't as much nitrogen in the bone. But then there was also other groups that had higher sulfur content, which would indicate they had a higher seafood in their diet. Mm. And it seems to be more based on the location. And one of the big things that they didn't really acknowledge either was gladiators were actually considered slaves mm -hmm. and they were being fed also what was convenient. And so a lot of people have hypothesized that they ate a lot of barley. That's why they used to call them the barley men, which is really carb heavy. It's also super cheap. Protein is really expensive. And if you have an army essentially of hundreds of gladiators feeding them a high protein diet probably isn't realistic. But for this one location, I don't know how to say it, like Thebes, I think, closer to the ocean, they had a bunch of seafood because it was also based on like essentially local food before that was a thing. It's like you just ate what you had access to. Uh -huh. But gladiators were not vegan. Um, and they made this huge broad generalization uh, from that was really misleading and quite frankly not true so that to me was one of the biggest uh that was like the, one of the biggest flat out lies it it actually was i'm glad you brought up the whole idea of like the eating the foods that are accessible to you because we don't do that no more as 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 a society right like we don't go out and plant our foods in the environment that we're currently in and all those other things like we don't do that right living for me living this close to, to the ocean side to ocean right and living in ocean side and being this close to the ocean i would promise like if i didn't have access to the foods that i have access to my main source of food would be seafood and whatever else was in the area because of the oceans right here as as I started looking at that, because I, I actually had Aaron talk to me about this when he was telling me, he was like, you know, it, it's weird on how we look at eating, right? Is because of the fact that we end up going, we go ahead and we start putting in these different types of vegetables in different areas that are actually not meant to be grown in, in the area, right? Which now introduces industrial agriculture, right? Like when we start talking about that footprint and we start talking about how those you know, planting, you know, a type of food or a type of plant or vegetable in a certain area that's not supposed to be grown into that actually starts ruining the environment as well. Right. Like, so it's kind of one of those things where it comes to play. It's like, well, how good of you, how good are you of eating a, a, that type of diet or as compared to someone who's eating a, a, a protein based diet as well, who put protein into their diet. And it kind of led me to this idea was like, well, the quality of food that we're eating 
as someone who puts protein in and the quality of food they were eating as someone who is a vegan, vegetarian, or plant-based, the quality of food to get at that level is very fucking hard. No matter what way you're eating. Let's just be completely honest. It's very hard. It's very expensive to live and eat that way. So then we start breaking these types of way down into different levels or different tiers. When we start looking at plant-based processed foods, it's the same exact way as we look at a cheeseburger from McDonald's. Processed shit is still processed shit. I don't care it, if it has a vegan sticker on it. it but that's the but oh, but actually one hundred percent right, one hundred percent right. But unfortunately, people look at it as like, well, it doesn't have meat in it. Didn't do this when it's actually no, that's wrong. So it's like, let's be honest here. The quality of food that you're eating is probably not as high quality as you think it is. And let's go ahead and take this idea of let's go ahead and take a food group out of our diet. How about we just increase the quality of food that we're actually eating that will now give us the energy that we need to live the sustainable life we that we want? Like that is my whole synopsis out of all of this and everything until this day, right? Because we talk about sharing picking fucking athletes. Yeah, I saw who they put on there, Kendrick Ferris. You put all these other guys on there. They put on Diaz. Let's be honest. All these individuals had a background of eating a certain way and had to change the way they ate so that they could work in a specific way. And people would be like, well, you just contradicted yourself. No, I didn't. Because of the fact that they came from eating a really shitty diet growing up or however else, and they just increased their quality of foods. And what they did was they took out protein, which now took off less, took stress off their gut, which now helps them with digesting food easier. So of course they're gonna go ahead and see a huge increase in performance coming from that, right? Like, Yeah, I was cracking up at the Conor McGregor Diaz example i thought that was so funny uh they kept showing like conor mcgregor eating steaks and being like the steak is why he didn't win and i'm like eh, actually if you follow the ufc that's not at all the case and i can't remember i want to say nate diaz is a vegetarian he he was a vegetarian he is yeah but- and but he's also a triathlete who does he does ironmans and so it's really probably important to him and his recovery to have high carbohydrates Lots of plants. Which is why and he's he figured got, out uh, what's worked for him. And that's why he's got a better motor than McGregor anyway. Yeah. But it was so funny to me that they made that about food. And then uh, someone else did a video and they were like making an example because the opposite happened where like a meat eating boxer like beat a vegetarian. But like, is that supposed to be evidence that eating meat will make you a better athlete? That's what drove me nuts about this whole documentary. It was like, let's present something that's scientific and then let's present something that's absolutely just a silly non-scientific mostly anecdotal way of approaching this to to tug on those emotions and those heartstrings when brooke and brooke and george i haven't personally met a ton of really diehard vegetarians and vegans but the ones i have met have not applied those philosophies correctly and are often you know, very visibly underfed and hormonally are, are not where they should be or where they would like to be. Yeah. So it seems like for the average person, uh, not even talking about the athlete, it would be a large undertaking, a part-time job to try and maintain a plant-based diet, getting everything that you need for your daily activities. Some of these athletes need to put away 10,000 calories a day. So yeah. you're bring, bringing up a really great point that we need to touch on. They actually had did a study and they pulled meat eaters and vegans, yeah. I believe. And they said on average, um, 
someone consumes about 600 calories less a day hmm. when, and when they're not a meat eater. So hmm. that alone would contribute to some really positive health changes for the average person. Because if you're consuming less calories, you're probably not going to weigh as much, no extra weight gain, probably lower inflammation. There's certainly something uh, to say for the health benefits just of that alone for some people. But like you pointed out with the athlete, it's different and you have to plan. Also, if you're just an active person, regardless of your diet choices, you probably are going to have increased needs for certain micronutrients yeah. and macronutrients anyway. So then if you want to switch to something that naturally is kind of a, can be more restrictive and you have to think and plan a little harder, that can be an, an iffy transition. So I had a huge outreach of people that were like, uh, yeah, just softly have a vegetarian meal plan. No, not going to happen ever. Here's why. Like, let me send you these studies. Let me send you these things like review this. Let me know if you have questions. If you still think that the best thing for you is to totally cut out meat and animal products let me refer you to someone that's a dietitian that specializes in these diets because it's going to take time and practice to understand and get a grip on how uh, going plant-based is different. Um, and the people who are not inquisitive enough to look at the research <laughs> presented in this documentary are not going to be inquisitive enough to put together something plant-based effective for themselves. Or something that would be as a as effective and well balanced as a a diet that includes animal products, maybe. Yeah, well, it's it's even hard. You could argue for most people to put together a great diet with meat. In Dude, it. it's so hard. It's, like, it's hard. <laughs> kind of hard. You can argue it's kind of hard no matter what. It's like yeah. pick your hard. But I do think that there's certain considerations that should be. Uh, that should definitely be like taken into consideration. One of the big things, I I guess I'll just go ahead and jump into it. What are, what are we looking at here? Um. Oh God. Is I mean, my email popping up. I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick before we move into this, I don't know where you're going, Brooke, with this, but one thing that that really stood out to me, and you probably laugh, in in it was this. It was the it was the types of food they were saying that you can replace protein with. Oh my god! Like the whole <laughs> peanut butter, the peanut butter sandwich to eggs thing. That was one of them. There was a few other ones, and then I was like, "Wait a minute!" So you're telling me that I have to eat? I get to? Eat, I can eat a peanut? Or we'll use a peanut butter sandwich one. But like, it's understanding that. Wait a minute! For me to go ahead and I, yeah, I'll get that amount of protein in it, but I'm also going to get other fucking calories in there that I don't need at the moment. So guess what? That's the reason why we still see unhealthy vegetarians and vegans, just as we still see unhealthy fucking meat eaters. Yeah, you know? because like, it has. You can still be you can be a, a vegan and eat a lot of processed food and and not have a, a great eating pattern that's full of still plants be and fiber. Yeah, so you can be unhealthy and be a vegan. You can be unhealthy and be a meat eater, and you still need to think about your choices. One of the funniest things that people keep sharing now is like, oh, and broccoli, hundred grams of broccoli, I can get this much protein, and it's only thirty two calories, and they'll make comparisons of like a vegetable to steak and it drives me nuts because it's really misleading information. So I've made my own breakdown to demonstrate this point. Okay. Sick. We're going to make a comparison between broccoli and steak. Okay. And broccoli. So if we're looking at about 3.5 ounces is hundred grams. So we've got hundred grams of broccoli in front of us and that hundred grams of steak, about 3.5 ounces of steak, which is a really small steak. 
you go to Outback and you probably order like a 16 ouncer just to put it in perspective. So 24. in these little, so in these same weights and amounts, you get 2.57 grams of protein. You get 27.3 grams of protein in that amount of a steak. That is only 32 calories of broccoli. So it's far less calories, more volume of food. And there is a little bit of protein. And in a steak, it's more like 219 because there's a lot more nutrients, including a lot of protein, obviously, and some fat. So to break it down even further, uh, a lot of people are comparing it like 100 calories of this food and 100 calories of that food. So if you and if you want to break it down that way, steak still wins. So 100 calories of broccoli would be 1.8 cups. So let's just say like two cups. That's a lot of broccoli. To sit there and eat two cups of broccoli, that would give you eight grams of protein. And if you did 100 calories of steak, you would get 12.5 grams of protein. So you're still going to get a lot more protein from a steak when you're only eating 100 calories than you are from 100 calories of broccoli. The other thing I want to begin to break down and point out, and this is super complicated, and I'm just going to simplify it because we do a whole podcast on this, is that plant protein and animal protein are different. The plant protein is different. It's not as um, bioavailable in a lot of cases in the food. And what that means is just because something is supposed to have this many grams of protein doesn't mean your body is actually utilizing all of that protein versus in, in animal protein and meat. It's much The protein is much more bioavailable and, and ready for you to digest and use. Okay, so that's like the first difference. The other difference that I'm, heard, I'm sure a lot of people have heard talked about is that there's a limited amount of essential amino acids in most plant-based foods. And in animal proteins, you get all of the essential amino acids. They used to believe that you had to pair your plant proteins at a meal in order for it to count. And that's kind of considered old science now. And as long as you're varying your plant proteins so that you're getting all of your essential amino acids, it doesn't matter if it's at the same meal you're getting all of your essential amino acids. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So, yes, you can get protein from plants, but it's not the same. And animal protein is a far superior form of protein than from plants. That's the point I want to mm. make. You don't need animal protein. You don't need animal protein if you really want to get your protein from plants. But I'm I am going to go ahead and say it that animal protein is superior meaning the protein is more bioavailable, it's easily digestible, you're going to get all of your essential amino acids. But it's it's not it causes inflammation, though. But plants don't. It doesn't. <laughs> so we've talked about this before, is uh, the difference between acute and chronic inflammation. Yeah. So chronic inflammation is this long-term thing, and that's really what's associated with things like cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, cancers, um, that's chronic inflammation. If you're eating meat, like a red, they say red meat causes inflammation. If you go back and you look at the science, that's actually really not there. Um, I was reading a review of like 1,100 studies about inflammation in meat. Um, but a lot of the studies they use and they cite were these epidemiological studies. And correlation doesn't equal causation. Gotcha. And that's the big thing. Um, there was actually this study where calories, carbs, protein, and fat are all the same. So like you're getting the same amount of nutrients. Wow. 
And some people had plant protein sources and other people had the animal sources. Both groups, when they had a controlled calorie, carb, protein, fat diet that were the same, they both decreased inflammatory markers. Hmm. And that just kind of further proves this point that it's not necessarily about this one particular food. And it has a lot more to do with energy balance and making sure we're not excessively gaining weight and increasing those inflammatory markers. So this would bring me to this question or to this next. So then it wouldn't even be the plants we're eating or the proteins we're eating. It could, it's something that is the makeup of those things. Let's, for example, carbohydrates have a lot of sugar in them if you eat a high glycemic carbohydrate diet, which now means you are going to see inflammation increase due to sugar intake being increased from those processed foods from carbohydrates. Am I wrong or right? Uh, processed foods, definitely granulated sugar, things like that. And there are sugar and carbs, but your body doesn't respond to it the same way because a lot of the times and, you know, there's also fiber and micronutrients and there's other things. So it's not this, it's not as simple. Inflammation is also this kind of just like mythical fucking unicorn with all these different barriers like sleep, stress, mental health. It's not just necessarily the food you put in your body. One of the biggest things with cardiovascular disease and increased LDL, um, LDL cholesterol, which is the bad, one of the bad kinds, they're just like really, really small. And so they can clog your arteries and they're just sticky. And that's what causes a lot of problems. Um, but that still has to do with overall saturated fat consumption. And they make these big generalizations and, and kind of just say it has, it's red meat and certainly fatty meat will increase your LDL, but you can still have fish and lean meat and you're, and if it's low in saturated fat, you're still going to be fine. And this is also why they recommend the Mediterranean diet for someone who has cardiovascular disease. Mm, it's got lean meats, it's diet. got fish, it's got healthy fats and nuts and seeds and all this good stuff. So again, I just feel like they're trying to pin everything on like, well, red meat causes inflammation and increases my cholesterol and this and this and this. And it's like, mm, you just want to blame something when in reality, it, it has much more to do with your overall saturated fat consumption, genetics, a whole lot of different things. And One you thing can certainly still eat meat. It's nice no, that we good. dispensed right away with the motives of this documentary. I, I mean, it's, it's right there for everyone to see. Well, and I'm sure I'm going to piss people off because Fuck I'm going to we'll probably end up doing two podcasts about this. We're going to do a video series about this, an article and everything else. But I just want people to understand, again, I'm not demonizing vegetarian, vegan. Um, I'm, I'm not at all. I'm simply saying today, the whole point of this is this documentary got it wrong. They got so much wrong and they just presented false or misleading information and that's really disappointing so today i'm kind of talking shit um and i'm think the next podcast i'm gonna actually give you problem solving like what do you i was do? about to say yeah like because i feel like today i'm just going on a rant about everything that they got wrong and the things that i wanted to point out um one of the huge things they also talked about was how um cancer risk and they do this a lot when it comes to organic and conventional foods. So I wanted to discuss the difference between relative risk and absolute risk. Okay. Because I feel like this is something really important everyone should grasp when they're digesting 
information that's presented to them scientifically. Absolute risk is going to be your risk of developing disease. Like everyone's got one. So let's, let's say you're at a, because you're Christian, because you're a white male, whatever, whatever, all these factors, you have a 5% risk of can this kind of cancer. Okay. So then someone's going to look at, um, I think in the, the documentary, what did they look at? I don't know if these are correlations or um, epidemiological studies. Anyway, that's not my point. My point is, all right, let's say your risk of cancer is 5%. And I'm going to, what if I told you your cancer risk is going to increase by 20% if you eat this food? You automatically just gave someone a fucking, yeah. that I mindset. Freaked you to... out. And now you think that you have a 20% risk of cancer or a 25% risk. Yes. Okay, that's actually not oh, how it works. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. So someone's like, oh shit, it increased by 20. Now it's like a 25% risk. I'm gonna like that's one in four. That's not how that's not how uh, relative risk works. It's just comparing the two groups. So it would be a 20% increase on that 5%. Hmm. So your cancer risk would go from 5% to 6%. Yeah, and I've I per have, individual. I've often yeah. seen this too. If you know, if you have like a one out of a hundred chance of developing something, and then they try and scare you by saying you're going to double your likelihood, yeah. and oh, like really, well, that just means like two out of a hundred. Yeah, and they do this a lot when they talk about um, like chemicals and pesticides. Hmm. It scares people because you're like, whoa, like glyphosate can increase my cancer risk by 20%. That sounds scary and like a big number when in reality, it's probably like, oh, it went up from. 5% to 6%. It's not as big of a difference, but they'll present things in a way. And this is really common. It's not just this documentary. It's really common that people do this. And it's a form of fear mongering. In my opinion, they do it a lot surrounding food. Um, whether that's the type of foods you're consuming or the, um, like the whole organic conventional farming or whether it's that you shouldn't eat certain foods. Well, and I, I bet you could soak up most of that 20% just taking human error into account for the studies shit like that yeah and it's it was just really interesting because this one they were talking about basically saying if you eat red meat it's like associated with a 20 percent increase in cancer but that's also that's also a, a correlation not causation and it's a relative risk not an absolute risk based on a single study mm -hmm. so they did that a lot that drove me nuts huh. is that you can't you have to, to have a good study, it needs to be clearly defined, peer-reviewed. It needs to be repeatable. It needs to have a good sample size. They were There was this one study they did about milk, and it had like six kids, seven women, seven men. That was it. Yeah. How can we determine milk and testosterone levels? And they presented the information in a weird way. It was something like um, drinking milk decreases testosterone. But the actual study, even though it's a shitty study, because it's only it's just like a very, very small sample size. What really happened is it temporarily decreased your testosterone secretion, but that was just a temporary effect. So it was it was super misleading. And that's what you saw over and over and over again. And I'm telling you, I've barely scratched the surface and I've been sifting through all this stuff and going to look at the actual studies and read through what actually is said versus what they presented. And I mean, I've barely, I could go through all of them and it would take me forever. Like they could give me a job for a year doing that. So here's my theory on this. 
and and it's kind of come down to just from research anecdotal experience seeing others do this and you know just experience in general is we're just addicted to food that's what it comes down to our addiction to food is not healthy and how we approach this addiction is actually by providing a better quality of food in our life so that we actually can avoid these risks that you're speaking of, Brooke. Can and, and that's kind of my theory from here, right? So it's like, again, I'm coming from the middleman. I'm like, hey, if you eat meat, you eat meat, and you eat plants, you eat plants. Who cares? But look at understanding eating the higher quality of foods, if you're going to go that route, it's going to lead you into a healthier lifestyle. Now, Living in between the middle of that, I've learned as myself, it doesn't work as well. It, it really doesn't. Like it, it, It's like you're either one way or you're not. Sitting in the middle is really, really hard when it comes to nutrition because that whole moderation for nutrition I, I've found for myself, and I'm pretty sure, Brooke, you're the same way. See money, you're the same way as also. Is like if I do, okay, cool, I'm going to eat a slice of, I'm going to eat this pizza once a week. I'm going to have a cheat meal this way. I'm going to do this. We found that it ends up becoming a easier way to fall off and our, and, and our quality of food actually is not maintained. Yes or no? Yeah, I think that that, that definitely makes sense. Um, and I do think that consistency is always better than perfection. And I don't recommend perfection. No. And I might be talking shit about processed food, but it's okay every now and then if that's something you want and you enjoy. And it's certainly not going to derail your health status to have a bag of Cheetos once in a while because you like freaking Cheetos. So it's okay to do those things. And I think that you're going to have to find a balance that works for you. And I, I kind of think what you're saying is like, we're very similar. It's like I eat like 90% of the time I eat really well, but then they are, there are days where I want to eat flaming hot Cheetos yeah. and I have the other extreme where I'm like, this is how my normal eating pattern is. This is the normal food I keep in the house, but you know what? I really want to go out and just have like a burger and fries and a milkshake. And then that's okay. As long as I think like 75% of the time you are being mindful and on the other end where you're eating high quality nutrient dense food. It's it's cool you say that because like I just got done reading a book called The Peace for Warrior. Um, it's by Dan McMillan. It's an old school book. And he talked about that. He was like, you know, understand the food that you put into your system is going to provide the energy out, right? And we say that all the time, energy in, energy out. And when he was like, hey, if you go ahead and focus on consistency of eating super clean to help with this brain health and help with this transition of you becoming this peaceful warrior in this book, he mentioned a lot of that was, right? It's like, hey, the quality of food that you put into your system is going to go ahead and aid in whatever goals that you want, right? But you have to be consistent with the quality of food. The lower quality of food and the consistent you are with that's going to go ahead and give you those same results. A higher consistency of high quality foods is going to give you a higher quality output. So it's kind of one of those things now where it's just like, yeah, you know what? Like if I'm just going to eat high quality foods, if I want to, like last night I had a, I had a piece of steak and I had a bowl of fucking spinach with lemon pepper, lemon, and some whatever else and some sweet potato. Like good. it was, it was amazing, right? Like it was fucking bomb diggity and, and that's it. But again, I enjoy having a slice of pizza again, but it's, it's a whole extreme and, and, and living in that aspect. And I, and yeah. maybe I'm wrong in that theory and maybe it's, and I'm okay with being wrong, but it's something that I've found that has helped not just myself, but others around me be like, oh yeah, this way of eating is actually a little bit better for my psyche than to being like, I got to do it this way and this is how it has to be. So, and that's how I think it should be regardless of if you're a vegan, if you're a meat eater, 
I think that rule should apply to everyone. Like 75% of the time, be mindful. 25% of the time, have the freaking vegan cookie at the bakery. You know, like do, you know, that's, um, I think that that rule should apply across the spectrum of different diets and whatever plant-based spectrum means to you. Because in reality, that's plant-based is more of like this broad umbrella term. And it is a spectrum from strict vegan all the way to someone who just likes to eat a little less animal products and more plants. One of the things I wanted to talk about that we touched on earlier, the whole freaking like vegans have better boners thing. Why was that in the documentary? I think I have an answer to that, actually. Well, one of the producers actually is writing a book on how going vegan or vegetarian has helped with increase of, uh, of, of, it's helped get people out of erectile dysfunction. Exactly. Yeah. I was like trying to think of the proper way and I was like, oh, you okay, we'll go that route then. Yeah. Erectile dysfunction. Yeah. It's actually shown that way. And it's, and, and I'm going to be honest, I'm going to completely be honest with you guys, right? Coming from weighing 220 pounds, taking testosterone, eating every single thing in the world, and then going to being super healthy, increasing aerobic capacity and moving and, and lowering stress and inflammation, all those things that are, that, that, that is, that is it right there, right? Like changing your quality of life to get out of that aspect of, a, of, of that point. And when they put that in the movie, kind of open the doors of being like, no, People just live in such an unhealthy lifestyle that this is a problem for them. And if they yeah. lived in a higher, in a, in a better lifestyle, better quality of food, better quality of life, they wouldn't have that problem. Well, yeah. The, the and that they, doesn't necessarily have to mean no meat. No, the, exactly. The way they did the study was they, they had three student athletes. They I were think? like dolphins players or something. They were dolphin okay. players. Yeah. So they had three dolphins. So they had a struggling football team. Yeah. They okay. F- they fed two meat and one a bean burrito. And then they measured their nighttime boners. I feel like the meat eaters just went and got laid. And then Well I also was wondering and the vegetarian just went home by himself. Or and got like, extra sleep boners. It's like one of those things where they're so there's all these other factors. Like yeah. It was just so, it was to me, it was this wow factor. They wanted to get your attention. And to be honest, I was freaking rolling on the floor laughing. It worked for me. Um, and they, they did those little test tubes, which are on the poster. And yeah. everyone's just like using this as like, see, you can literally see it in the blood serum and this is bad for you. I'm like, uh, that's actually a very normal part of what happens when you have a high fat meal. Oh, the, the cloudy blood? Yeah. yeah that's simply that because of, they're called chylomicrons and they transport fat from your intestines to the liver and to your adipose tissue. So it comes into your blood serum and it looks that kind of milky serum, but that's what your body is supposed to do. It's taking the fat from the food and the intestines and whatever you're trying to digest. And it's trying to take it to the liver where it needs to go. And the excess will go to adipose tissue. So that's totally normal that that happens. And that happens after high fat meals. But they kind of associated it, and I wish they would have stated, and maybe they, uh, maybe they did it this way, maybe they didn't. They certainly didn't talk about it. But what was the fat content of the plant-based burrito, and what was the fat content of the steak burrito? Yeah. They did not address so that. So the steak burrito, if I have to hypothesize, had higher fat, and then that's why the body had that response, versus the plant-based one, which was probably a little carb-heavier just because it was like beans and rice and whatever. Uh, so that would be the difference. Were they right in saying that having cloudy blood is going to affect performance? 
Uh, so that again, that's like an acute response. That's normal. If you're every day, you had really high fat meals and your body's doing that, that certainly can lead to, to risk like elevated cholesterol. And, and there are risks associated with that. But if you have a high fat meal and you have that acute response and that's not your norm, it's not something that you should be worried about. It was a, it, to me, it was another fear mongering tactic. Um, and it was, it was a powerful visual that was easy for people to digest, even though they absolutely mi misrepresented, uh, the, the situation, in I my am opinion. very much looking forward to the Brooke West diet documentary that's coming out. <laughs> someone was like, why don't, why isn't someone taking the opportunity now to then make one that's correct? Because yeah. you could, you could make a really good documentary of like, here's the pros and cons of both. And here's how to be healthy on both instead of just demonizing meat eaters and animal products and you're not and you're not giving the full picture and a lot of the stuff they said was just straight up wrong you could do a series debunking all of these documentaries yeah it's it's frustrating because there are enough that you could really fuck some shit up well one of the other ones one of the biggest straight out lies they said was that the greenhouse gas effect from the food industry was worse than transportation oh that was really annoying straight up <laughs> straight up lie like they say the actual data shows three percent is due to meat and 80 percent is due to transportation in developed countries hmm. like the united states so if you're getting on a plane or you're driving a car or even getting on a bus maybe you should rethink things like that and this was interesting to me too because <laughs> they said that uh, you know, this is this is the positive impact that will be had on the environment if people just quit eating meat. What did they think would happen when they, you know, stopped all of the agriculture processes that are required to feed the cows and just changed them out for all of the agricultural processes that it would take to feed people extra plants? It would still mean deforestation and it would still require a massive amount of farming's always going to contribute to greenhouse gases. It doesn't matter. You know, plant farming isn't straight up no greenhouse effect. That's absolutely, you know, the case. I think also something, some food for thought is uh, if you're worried about your carbon footprint, start shopping local. Find a local butcher shop, find a local farmer's market. If you have access to these things, your food is going to be coming from down the street, not on a boat or a plane. Your avocados are not flown in from Mexico. Maybe you seasonally eat them and you eat what's available yeah. locally. Like in here in North Carolina, we have a lot of really good local local food. So, um, you know, you can eat more root vegetables and squashes in the winter. And, and like then in the summers when you would have these other things, you, there's so many other ways that you can be mindful of the contribution that you're making to the environment and they just straight up lied about this thing and someone was like yeah i'm i'm not i don't eat meat because of the environmental impact and i'm like eh, you might want to go reread the statistics before you change your whole entire life based off of a false of straight up false data but we're all very very impressed by your virtue <laughs> well and i do think you know if someone doesn't want to eat meat because of animals or you know whatever opinion that's cool. I actually understand that. I really understand that. Or you find it's better for your health or it's better for your digestion and it works for you. Totally cool. But when you're clinging to this false, these, these false data points as proof for why you're doing something, I'm just 
I'm just uh, challenging you to dig a little deeper and question question things a little more. Hmm. I'm I actually really, go ahead, I, George. Sorry, buddy. It was it, talking about this when I was out there just recently with you guys. I Aaron told me about a really good movie called or a documentary on on Amazon called The Biggest Little Farm, and The Biggest Little Farm is actually a couple who have taken multiple years to go ahead and get this farm going from natural processes, from occurrence of animals living on the on the farm, and understanding how certain animals impacts other animals and how it impacts the environment and impacts their farming. So it was a really cool documentary on how different animals have an impact on different foods and the way we farm and how we bring it all together and how the industrial aspect of agriculture actually is a negative impact than what you would think. And even if you are full vegetarian and you do eat that way or vegan or you go plant-based, that you're actually over time making a bigger footprint on the environment than a meat eater would be because of the fact that all those meat eaters that we do eat like pigs and cows and all those things actually live off the land that we are currently trying to re-put new vegetables into that don't belong there at all yeah it was really interesting about yeah the the role of the ecosystems and everything and there's just so much at play and i do think if we want to go ahead and challenge the food system like you said, we should be challenging industrialized agriculture. We shouldn't necessarily be challenging just animals. We should be challenging the commercialization and industrialization of food. And that yeah. does include, that does include, you know, meat. Um, I do believe that. I personally believe that there is a place in the diet for meat if you choose to eat it. And I want to encourage everyone to find a good local butcher. Um, it's super important to know where the animals are coming from. How are they raised? Uh, I do. I'm. I love animals. I'm a softie for them. Uh, so I. It is important to me. I know. I've been to the farms where the cows and pigs come from that I eat, and I don't eat a lot of meat because I really respect it. Like I know that I don't need a 24 ounce steak. I know that my protein needs aren't as great as the average American would think. I'm super aware, yeah. and so I don't consume. I consider myself plant-based. I don't consume an excessive amount of meat and I'm really particular about the sourcing of it. And local agriculture is far more important to me than demonizing anyone. A food group. Yeah. A whole food group. That, that's, that to me is just not cool. Well, and it's cool that you say that though too, because like one thing I've learned in this whole endurance aspect, right. And we've talked about it before that my intake for protein has lowered actually. Um, and if I was to go back to pure strength athlete, I would keep my protein where it's at actually and just continue increasing my either my carbohydrates or, or fats in terms of that, right? But again, what it's what it comes down to for me, and 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 I'm pretty sure for you know yourself, Brooklyn, it sounds like same thing for you, see money, is the fact that the quality of food that we eat needs to be somewhat sourced at a higher at a higher level so that it provides better energy for us at the end of the day. Yeah. One of the things I want to touch on that I skipped over, which I thought was huge, and then we can wrap things up, is in the documentary, they really talk about protein in a way that's very, they, it's clearly misunderstood. They're not understanding protein. They said uh, protein isn't effective for fuel and for fueling exercise. And I literally at this point paused the documentary and I'm like, 
what the fuck? No one's ever claimed that. Oh no, I know the quote you're talking about, and it was the um, it was the sports physician that was like, "Oh yeah, my athletes look at protein as a a source of energy," and I was I was like, "That's fucking wrong, yeah, doctor." So protein is it enhances your lean body mass and it helps aid in recovery. And if you want to maximize your lean body mass, which most athletes do, then you need adequate protein and increasing, yeah. increasing. Um, then they went on to talk about increasing protein decreases your glycogen stores, which isn't true. And it actually has way more to do with your carbs, obviously. So if you're eating less than 20% of carbs, that's when you're going to see lower muscle glycogen, which is what I've been telling everyone for the last year or two about yeah. keto and all this shit right so that's when you need to pay attention but actually when you pair carbs with protein you have greater glycogen resynthesis so that magic pair that's why they say post-workout go ahead and hit up that protein carb combo that's where it's at very little fat um, usually it's a two to one ratio of carbs to protein that seems to work really well and this is going to help you through recovery and maximizing that lean body mass huh. so you know, it, the, the one they talked about it, I was like, I, I don't, this is, that was never a thing. Protein is not for fuel. <laughs> Protein is not for fuel, but it is for fuel. I mean, it, it has a role, but like they basically were saying like protein doesn't fuel exercise. Okay. Like, right. Like no one, in my opinion, it's, no one's consuming protein thinking that that's what their body wants. Fuel for exercise. It's fat man, and carbs. Man, fuck that. So anecdotal experience, you know me. <laughs> I was at a band of runners trail camp just recently and we were on our fourth day of running going into a last man standing, increasing your time effort every mile, every like four miles, right? So it started at 20 minutes, every 20 minutes you had to do a mile for four laps. Every another four, four miles, you had to drop down to 15 and then three, it dropped down to 12 and then two more, it dropped down to 10. And then the last man standing, they dropped it down to every nine minutes. You had to run this 1.1 mile loop. Um, so everyone understands like you went from this low aerobic aspect to this high aerobic, this high anaerobic path, like trying to sprint this mile and a half or this 1.1 mile loop. And my eating throughout the whole whole three days was really good. Like they had a dietitian there doing our meals for us, which was rad. Um, and we came into the last day right before then. And what we found, what we what I found during this was I ate brisket before that last man standing. I'd already put like forty miles in. I'd actually ran better utilizing red meat before that run because I was I compared to me eating more of the vegetables that I ate throughout the week I'd noticed that I had GI issues with vegetables in my gut trying to run too compared much fiber to and volume. yeah uh-huh yeah. well I compared guess I shouldn't I should be careful with what I say it's like uh, protein definitely has calories and your body can use it but it's not the preferred fuel source and no RD is ever recommended you should be eating protein like to fuel a workout it's that's just not and, how it and, works. And, I mean, I had, I had, I had brisket, and I had some, I had some sweet potatoes with it, and I had, and that was just it. But again, we can say the sweet potatoes was part of it. But I didn't have the belly problems as I did with eating more veggies throughout the week when I was there compared to eating that red meat. And I had that was my highest effort out of the four yeah. days I was there. So it kind of like opened the doors to being like, oh no, my body can handle red meats. I just yeah. need to be specific on how much I do eat of it. So it's again, yeah, having this yeah. open mindset and what I'm coming to, right? I'm not coming here and trying to talk shit on anybody who does vegetarian, who doesn't, but have a real open mindset of being okay with putting in different types of proteins that are going to give you some kind of 
edge, right? Everyone's looking for that performance edge. And it's just like yeah. finding what works for you and taking a fucking food group out of your diet does not work. No. And regardless of, um, you know, protein should be a part, whether what whatever eating pattern you do or don't eat animal products, protein should be a part of it. It's going to be a really important part of balance, the body's natural processes, and it's great. Um, so I don't think we should really demonize it. And I certainly think that we should make sure we're understanding the role that protein plays and 100%. the role that protein plays with an athlete is to really maximize the lean body mass and help with recovery. And you do need adequate protein regardless of if you eat meat or not. That's important. If these things are important to you as an athlete, that is important. Word. Well, hey guys, thank you for uh, jumping on and, and talking about this. I'm looking forward to the next one that Brooke is going to go ahead and drop a bunch of other information. It won't be so much uh, of this style. <laughs> yeah, I feel like my head was spinning this episode, just trying to put a band-aid over the bullet hole that was this documentary when it comes to getting misinformation out there. Stop and, the bleeding. Oh God, it's so bad. So in the next episode, I'm going to go ahead and take a different turn and... Now that I've vented and thank you for listening, we're going to go ahead and talk about, okay, how do I actually, how, what does that look like to be a vegetarian or a vegan athlete and to do it in a healthy way? Sick. I'm excited for it. Yeah. I miss you, George. I see you guys soon. Actually, yeah, we'll see you guys soon. All right. Later. <laughs> Later, guys.